So we've, we've been working our way through the book of Philippians. We just started this series. And the book of Philippians is a phenomenal book. It was written as a prison epistle. So it was written somewhere in Rome, most likely. And Paul is the author, and he was under either in prison uh, at the, I believe it's called the, uh, the Byzantine prison in Rome, right on the main cargo, the main road there that ran uh, north, north to south. And he was under, under the city prison. It's really bad. It's really murky. It's terrible conditions. And here he is writing this letter to this church in Philippi. And so we think today about writing letters, and, and, and we think about email, we think about text messages. Paul is literally having somebody dictate and write out his letter uh, for him. And so he sent it to this church from the prison in Philippi to encourage the believers in Philippi to keep going despite the suffering and hardship that they experience. A lot of them are getting frustrated, all the believers in Philippi are getting discouraged for the hardship they've been experiencing. And so we kind of talked about last or last two times, we kind of opened up in chapter one. And I'm really excited today to talk about chapter two of the book of Philippians because chapter two is probably, if I had to pick out a piece, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the 
earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. I love that. I love that. That's just the book we're going to break down today. But it's such a powerful philosophy in the book of Philippians. Because this, this text is literally, is literally the foundation for which Paul establishes that all his life believers should be what? Be humble. Be humble. And maybe you know all of today in a life full of Instagram pics and people establishing themselves and wanting to what? Wanting to be the most known or be the most famous or be. Right? Kind of, this, we call it the gospel of, uh, the gospel of upward mobility. People are trying to, you know, either use uh, Christianity or, or use whatever their platform or their influence to promote themselves. We live in a world that's all about self-promotion. But if you look at the gospel, and you look at the, the, the God man Jesus, the world is about self-promotion. It's about becoming the least of these. Right? Or we're saying in, in, in the Bible, you see Satan just tries to establish himself. Satan wants to move on. The enemy of God wants to move up. He wants to be like the stars in the heavens. He wants to be superior of all the other celestial beings. And then you have Jesus, who, being in the form of God, considered not equality with God, something to be grasped, something to be attained, but in humility, made himself nothing. He was compared to enemy. Satan wants to go up, 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 and Jesus is moving in. Down, down, down. It's amazing humility. So let's look at this first, this first verse here. Uh, verse 2. Uh, verse chapter 2, verse 1. Let's read it. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, he says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. You know what's really interesting about this is when you are in one mind with somebody, if you are with one accord, if you are all on the same page, if your mindset is the same, there is no place for I, because your focus is where? On the mission, on the spirit, on the direction of the influence. Where is God leading us? Where is God taking us? It's not about me, it's not about you, it's about us together collectively being of one accord with the same mindset, the same mission, the same vision. Amen? Right? That's what believe, what Paul says. It's not about, it's not about me in this group of we, it's about how are we connected in an interweb of interdependency, following the vision and mission that Christ has bestowed upon us to believe. It's about knowing that we are called to, to share the gospel, to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus on earth. Not, not, to, not to look at me, look at, look at us, look at, look at how great you are, but to, to be of one accord and to be humility, identify with the mindset that the Godhead has bestowed upon the body of believers. And this is, this is the mentality. He all this is complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord in one mind. Now, what's interesting here is that the same mind, this mind that he's talking about, it could be two things. It could be he's saying be of yourselves of the same mind, or he could be saying this mind that was in Christ, right? This mind that was in Jesus. I want you to mimic and to model this mindset. And so if you look at here, look at verse 3. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Our translation here, this is the ESV, it says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Now this word for conceit, that word is paradoxia, and it literally means 
empty glory. Very complete. Empty glory. And that word is really, really significant because as we're going to continue to read the passage, there's another that's called the kenosis, the self-emptying. So where humanity tries to has to receive this empty glory, Christ empties himself of his glory. You see that? He empties himself of his power, of his glory, and becomes nothing. And so in life, in this in this life, there, there are those who are trying to, and Paul's preaching against this in the previous chapter. He says, there are those who are trying to preach the gospel in chapter one from selfish for selfish purposes, for selfish ambition, for vain conceit. And they're afflicting me in my prison. And so now Paul in chapter two is preaching against this mindset, against this, this belief system that is so foreign to the mindset that was in Jesus Christ. And he says, one mind eliminates what? Selfish ambition. One mind eliminates selfish, selfish exaltation. And you want to have this, this mind. So it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vacancy, but in humility count. Again, it count others more significant than yourselves. And each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. So that is the attitude, right? This is the kind of mindset that Paul throughout his book is wanting to inculcate in us. Now, now, what this doesn't mean, I'll tell you what this doesn't mean, because we read this verse today in our Western eyes, and we kind of say, consider others more significant than yourself. And what does that, what does that mean? Now, what this doesn't not mean is having a low view or a low self-esteem of yourself. I want to be very clear, because this verse is not saying, look upon yourself as, as very lowly, and everybody is way more superior or better life or better living than you. This verse is not saying that. This verse is also not saying that we constantly need to put the needs of others above ourselves. This verse is not saying that. It's not saying that you don't have to have boundaries, that you don't need to care for yourself, that you don't need to have certain limitations that you put in place to safeguard your well-being. This verse is not saying that. This verse is also not saying that everybody's life is much, much more grander than yours, and your life, you should just consider yourself, you should just sit down and sit on sidelines and not get in the game and make a difference to Jesus. This verse is saying that. And Oftentimes, when we look at the lives of others, we see an artificial highlight reel in comparison to our low life reel. Isn't that right? We see everybody's highlight on social media, what they're doing, how great their lives are, but in reality, that's not an authentic comparison because it's not real life. And so he explains, Paul explains in verse 4, he says, kind of explains what this means. He says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. So he's saying, don't just look at what benefits you. Don't just look at what, what benefits, how, how, it, how it, you know, adds to your advantage. Look at what benefits other people. Look for how you can serve the interests of those around you. Look how you can aid, how you can help, how you can demonstrate a servant spirit in the lives of those around you. That's what he's saying. How can you invest in the people around you. Investing that sometimes looks like going out of your own way to pour into somebody else. You see that? Not having a low view of yourself, not having low self-esteem, but having a very high view of yourself where you can actually do what? Pour into the interests of other people. See, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm rooted, if I'm living out of insecurity, if I'm living in a place of low confidence, it's very unlikely that I'm going to be able to invest in pouring to other people if I myself am empty and living this 
empty store and living from a place of distribution rather than abundance. So I need to get to a place where my identity is so rooted and so confident in who God says that I am that I can pour myself out into the lives of others. That word is important for us, pouring, self-emptying, right? Pouring ourselves out in the lives of other people around us. So what does this look practically, right? So practically, you can demonstrate humility by stopping for others and listening to their hurts, their pains, and their frustrations. One of, the, one of the biggest reasons why we don't invest in the people around us, or why we don't pour ourselves out in the people around us, is because we're too like B U S Y. We're too busy. Busy. What's the acronym? Like busy, like busyness is um, something, something the devil's business, or something like that. I don't know. But it's just like business is busyness is just getting so caught up, right? The devil just wants to keep us going, 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 not stop, not stop. And twenty-four-seven, we don't have time for what. And look at the people around us. Look at the people that God has brought us. Look at the people in our circle of influence that we can then what? Invest in their interest as well. It takes time, it takes space, it takes creative and meditative margin to get to a place where you can look at the interest of others and not only your own interest. But when we're so busy, when we think, oh man, I gotta do A, B, C, one task to the next, one responsibility to the next, we become the one a race that is really humanistic. It's really self-serving, self-gratifying, but we need to slow down. Look at the, the people, look at the, 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 the persons that God has brought us to, the blocks to invest in, to, to, to pour into. Another thing is, this verse teaches us that we can demonstrate humility by finding sustainable rhythms where I can serve the less fortunate, where I can serve, be a servant to many. The dying and the sick and the broken, to the orphan, the widow, the oppressed, that scripture teaches time and time and time again, to look out for the least of these. We can also demonstrate humility by, like I said, periodically stopping our busy schedules to look for ways that we can invest and build others up with our words, with our deeds, and with our words. And so, verse 5 says something really significant. Let's pop it up there. Or we can just keep the verse. I think we can just keep the verses up there, too. This, verse 5 is really interesting. It says, have this mind among yourselves. Now that word this, we're not sure if it's forward looking or if it's backward looking. What do I mean by that? Is it backward looking to verse three and four, or is it forward looking to verses five, six, and seven and eight? We're naturally not quite sure. It could be either or. So in other words, have this mind. What mind? The mind that you're not looking up for your your own interests, but also looking for the interests of others. The mind that you're not looking for a place of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Have this mind. It could be backward focused. Or it could be forward thinking. And it is forward thinking. Look at this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then it goes into describing the what? The mindset. Right? The mindset that's in Christ Jesus. And this, this little, this little, this little uh, secondary clause here, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that means that everything. When we are unified with Jesus through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, God begins to what, renew and restore our minds. He begins to renew and restore the, the broken walls of our conscience, where we violate the walls of our conscience time and time again. But God begins to, through the Holy Spirit, restore those broken walls, restore a right mindset, and renew a broken creation, right? The image of God 
not only in your salvation, right? Being able to be holy for your ministry, but also in your thinking and in your thought life. Like, I think sometimes we think about salvation in terms of, like, life after death. Like, Jesus has saved me, he has renewed me, he has restored me into good status, called justification, being restored into rightful standing with a good, holy, and loving God. Right? We think of salvation in these things. But what if salvation is also incorporated in the idea that God is totally renewed and broken creation into the perfected image and likeness of God? Now, what that looks like is that where there's a mindset that is believing in a lie that is not true, that is not God's work over your life, I begin to shift my mindset to think like Jesus. To have a mindset that is similar to the mindset that was in Jesus Christ. And so God, through His redemptive purposes, is not only saving us for eternity, but He's also saving and restoring what the enemy has stolen and broken in the current now and here. That Jesus is actively working to renew and restore what the enemy has planted to destroy and to break and to harm. So that's very hard because this is the mindset of Christ that says, also, sometimes they can say, instead of which is your, yours in Christ, is anyone remember what the scripture opened to a different translation? Somebody says, the mind. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one. That's the KJV version. And so actually, I think the KJV is actually, it's an older translation, but it's actually, I think in this sense, it's more accurate because it's saying, not which is acceptable in Christ Jesus. Two different divisions. The one is defining who has the mindset, the other is saying that it's acceptable to you in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit. But this is saying, have this mindset. Which is the same mindset of Jesus Christ. As believers, we want to mimic and model the life of the one who lived without sin, who was Jesus Christ. Paul says, I try to imitate Jesus the best that I can. Follow me only so far as I follow Jesus and mimic and model Jesus. But he says, have the same mind that was in him. Don't even look to me, look to his mindset. Who? Though he was in the form of God, that word form is, is more, it's, it's, it's not a more, it's more. It means like a shape or a form. And why is Paul using that word, that, that, that Greek word? Because he's describing not only something that it looks like on the outside, like the, the form or the shape, but also the characteristics that follow with the form or the shape of that thing takes on. It's the characteristics also. And so what he's saying is, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count. Equality with God is things to be just. Just think about that. Jesus, who being the God man, who being the form of Jesus Christ, who being God Himself in the flesh, did not try to, to grasp or attain or, or look for, hang on to, or cling on to the divine nature, but it was divinity. He was fully God, right and fully man. And the, the God man retained those two things, right? We, we believe that in the Nicene Council of God, Jesus was both fully God and he was fully man. It's, it's both and. He didn't renounce his divinity, but what did he do? He says, though was the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. This word is the kenosis, we call it the kenosis. Kenosis in Greek. It means self emptying. And self-limiting. 
So when Jesus, who was God, came, came to earth to die for our sins, right? To live a perfect life. What did he give up? It wasn't his divine nature. It was some of the divine attributes that he laid down. And what do I mean by that? The omnipotent God, the God who is able to, from the word of his mouth, keep the universe into existence. He hung on the cross and he said, if you truly are the Son of God, they they, they were mocking him in the first place. If you truly are the Son of God, pull yourself down from the cross. Pull yourself down. If you are who you say you are, pull yourself down right now and we'll believe you. And what did he do? Turn to the law of The true power, true power, friends, is not demonstrating as a flex. True power is divine strength. True power is when you hold back all that which is, all that which could be. True power is not when you try to prove yourself in your faith. True power is when you say, I know I'm able to, but I choose to affirm because of love. I choose to hold back because I love you. I could get mad right now. I could pull myself up this thought. I could make fun of what you happen right now in the blink of an eye. But because I love you, I will explain my truth for you. My truth on your behalf. It is the self-emptying of Jesus, of his divine attributes, of his divine characteristics. Not that he was any less divine or had to on a less divine nature. He was fully God, but in his humanity, he chose to take on the form and likeness of us. Look what it says. It says a servant, a bond servant. We don't, we don't really understand what, what the scripture is saying. A slave. Somebody who is bound under oath to serve somebody else for their entire lives until they were set free. But Jesus being God became a slave. The one who announced the stars and put them into existence, the one who, who, who created the galaxies and all that is in them, the one who formed you, knows the number of hairs on the top of your head, the one who knows you by name. I want to know what it's like to live 
and he's living to bless and renewal and faith and margin and how you live your life from day to day as a humble servant being born in the likeness of me. Remember, I said Jesus was the center of the universe. But he made you the center of his. He came down and died a death that you deserve. He died a death that we deserve because of our sin. And the penalty of sin, the scripture teaches, is death. But Jesus took on the weight of the world's sin. So on the cross, all of the wrath of God against sin was poured out on Jesus so that for those who have put saving faith in him, there is no more wrath. There's none. He consumed all of the wrath of God on the cross through his perfect sacrifice because he took on the shape and the form of a humble servant. I mean, look at this. Not only did he take on the shape and the form of a man, but look what it says. Oh, this is just crazy. Look what it says. Next, next verse. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by so he humbled himself by becoming a man. But what's more than that, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even the God man, the one who could call himself death, he could do it right then and there. He had all the power and authority, but he was obedient to the word of God, even unto death. He humbled himself under the purposes and will of God, even unto death. But what is more than that? Not even just a death. Not even just a death. Not even just a any death, but the most humiliating and disgraceful death that any man, any woman could ever die. A death on the cross. That's what Paul says here. Even how far? Even to the point of a death on the cross. You know, you can see these pictures, you see these icons, you know, sometimes you see the Catholic theology, you see you see Jesus on the cross, but then you see a garment around him. You see a garment clothing him. That wasn't the death that he died. He died the most shameful death that any human could possibly die. Death on the cross was humiliating. There was nothing covering him. There was nothing hindering him from being exposed, from being shamed, from being ridiculed. He died and was obedient even to the death on the cross. And this is the self-limiting power. This is the self-limiting. This is the, the self-emptying that Paul is really getting to. That the incarnation of Christ is an example of Christ and God's love trumping over his very form. Trumping over his power. Trumping over his authority. And so this, this idea of kenosis, this position holds that Jesus gave up the use, not the possession of his divine attributes. So there's a difference. The use of, but the possession of. See, they were potentially his. They were his potentially, and thus he was God. But he surrendered their use absolutely, and so he was man. So basically, if, if you, he's basically saying that you, in this sense, you, coming to me, you matters more than who I really am. Love is love supersedes power and control. There was a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, who, 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 who here has seen Schindler's List before? Schindler's List. It's an amazing, amazing film um, about the Holocaust and all the tragedies and horrors that took place during that time. And there's a conversation between Goethe, I believe his name's also Amon, Amon Goethe, and Schindler, Master Schindler. And the conversation has to do with control is power. Is power control. And so Goethe mutters to 
Christina Rico's, Rico's book, Rico's Control of Power. He argues that because the Nazis can and do kill Jews at any time they please, and Nazi leadership has all the power. But look at Genesis. He rebukes that. He says, Power is when you have every justification to kill that you want. Philip says, You think that's power? Jenny replies, That's what the emperor did. The emperor said, A man steals something, he's brought in before the emperor, he throws himself down on the ground before the emperor, he begs for his life, he knows he's going to die, and the emperor punishes him. This worthless man, he lets him go. Philip says, I think we've left. Simon says, That's power, Philip. I just think of God. How we're so deserving of death because of our transgression, because of our sin, because of our fallenness. We all sin, fall short of the glory of God. We deserve what? Death. I'm sorry to say, we deserve punishment. We deserve wrath. We deserve that. We are inherently good. We are inherently evil. And God redeems us. That's how much He loves us. He says, this is power. When I have every reason to punish, I will not punish, but I will pour my wrath out on my son. That's power. That's true power. I think of this next verse that says, Therefore, verse 9, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord for glory forever. Jesus is exalted. God the Father, because he reigns forever. Every time. So he reigns. That is why he exalted for us. And it says, Scripture teaches also that God opposes. The proud, but he gives glory to the Friends, if you can have the same mindset that is in Jesus Christ, that when conflict comes, the trouble stirs up between you and somebody else, or maybe it's just selfish ambition or vain conceit, maybe it's empty glory for you, I don't know what it is, but I can promise you this those things will never satisfy you. Those, 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 those ambitions, those, those dreams, those things where you're saying, I can get the advancement, I can get the promotion in the job, I, I, can, I can do it, I can see it happen, that the gospel of upward mobility, me, 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 those things will never satisfy you. What will satisfy you is having the mindset of your Lord and Savior, which is not me, which is you. I pray that you so much that I'm willing to lay my life. That's an amazing, incredible act of Christ's love. Humble servant, Jesus Christ, and his son. The Bells come up here and just want to close that. I thought about that for a minute. Jesus from Nazareth. Why does the Bible cover Jesus from Nazareth? In a, in a place in the Western world where many of us pride ourselves on, on things that we really didn't control, we didn't really control whether we were going to be born in the Western world, did we? We didn't really control whether we were going to be born in a place where we were going to have privileges, freedoms, 
fighting in the body with that persecution. We didn't really have control over those things, but God in His grace somehow deemed it that we would be born here in the West. But we didn't have control. But what do you think about the God who did have control? The God who could determine where He would be born. The God who did and could decide where His birthplace was. And He chose Nazareth. A little town, a little mole. Is it from anything good come from Nazareth? Is this the son of Joseph, Mary? Surely nothing good can come from this. That's what they said, right? And the God who took on the form of a slave, not only took on the form of humanity, but then his birthplace was from the smallest, most insignificant little city, little town in all of Israel. To prove what? That our honor and privilege doesn't come from our place of birth, doesn't come from our family, doesn't come from us, but our honor and privilege and our glory and glory come from His grace. Status doesn't come from self promotion, from self advancement, from, from thinking that I'm better than anybody else around us. I'm going to selfishly chase this dream or this vision or do this for me because I want to look out for me and nobody else is looking out for me. While you have the mindset of Jesus who says, I give you your status, I give you your honor, I give you your glory, your hope, and the Holy Spirit. What if that was like? What if that was like? How can we have this life? How can we have the lifestyles even to the point of laying our lives down for people? I want to have that mindset with this community. Every conflict, every opportunity, every moment, every breath, every Yourself in the mighty hand of God, He will lift you up when His appointed time has come. When it's His season. 